0: Welcome to the In Faith Podcast.
1: What's up, In Faith family? Welcome back to another episode of the In Faith podcast. We are glad that you're joining us this week, and we just uh, we pray that you had a, an amazing week um, between the last episode and and this episode. It was um, kind of an odd scene to see Paul from where we left off in Acts to see Paul actually be able to get somewhere and get grounded for long enough to really plant God's word and invest that into people. When the, the going theme that we've gotten to see prior to him being in Corinth was he would be there maybe a couple of days, a few days here, a few days there before he'd get ran out of town. But just because Paul was able to kind of um, get, get rooted into where he was at in Corinth and, and start pouring into these people and investing um, some time into them. And filling them with God's word, not only just preaching it, but being able to sow it into people, it still didn't come without its trials. There was still, from where we left off, there was still a, a large number of Jews in, the, in Corinth that were um, trying to rise against him. And we got to see that um, they even tried to get the pro-council in who tried to get uh, a, a man called, named uh, Gallio. 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 I think I'm saying that right. And yeah. they tried to bring the issue to him, and yeah. he wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, he, he didn't take any religious matters and wanted no part in it. And so, a little background on, on Gallio. He, he was a Roman judge who handled disputes over issues of the law. But he wasn't a religious person. He wasn't a religious judge. Is he
0: from Rome? I'm not. Disappointed by Rome. Quite sure. I was about to make him Italian. He's, yeah, he
1: was about to make him Italian. So in the, the, when the mob of Jews tried to accuse Paul of, of teaching and persuading the people to worship God, contrary to the Jewish law, Gallio had a sense to state the obvious in that matter so he basically tells him you know you're bringing a religious matter to a secular judge like i want no part in this so he was actually recognizing here the separation between the church and the state and so the state presides over the laws and the laws of the land and issues of safety and it takes care of, you know, the, the, the physical needs uh, of a person. Whereas the church takes care of the spiritual aspect of a person's life. So gallio was probably one of the first to say, you know, not the first, but one of the first to say, I'm not, I'm not touching this. We saw a similar... um. I don't know if it was so much similar of as far as it goes between separating the law and religion, but it was similar in the sense of um, when they were trying to persecute Jesus. I don't know if that was more of a, well, well, I think you do what you're going to do. I don't want any part in this.
0: It was Uh, the same thing because they were asking, the Jews were asking that Jesus be crucified, right? And that had to be a Roman judgment for him to be crucified. And Pilate's, Pilate was saying, well, what do I have to do with this king of the Jews? You know, judge him yourself. And that's when, you know, the Jews came up with the whole, he, uh, he's claiming to be a king, which, you know, puts your Roman rulers at risk.
1: And that's what they tried to lead with. Yeah. To say he was breaking an actual right. law, but he had a lot of influence behind that decision, didn't he? Because yeah, at first I, he was starting to consider their case.
0: Well, it was Pilate's decision. He didn't want to have anything to do with it. His wife even warned him to have nothing to do with sentencing this righteous man, she said.
2: And mm-hmm.
0: the Orthodox Church, Pilate's wife is sainted. She's considered a saint for having, for having done that. Um, so, no, Pilate didn't really want any part of, of uh, sentencing Jesus, but Pilate could see that the Jews could cause an uprising in Jerusalem under his watch. would look bad for him. Mm-hmm. So, he went ahead and did it, and he did everything he could. Mind you, he was like, how about we just beat him a little bit? Uh, and so they beat Jesus, they whipped him and uh, that wasn't enough for the people. And he's like, okay, well, how about, you know, I let one person go. Why, uh, you know, here's this murderer and here's Jesus. Who do you want me to let go? They I picked the murderer. Yeah,
1: that was crazy. That I mean, even still to this day, I think that's the, the one of the most, like the craziest moments I've read in the Bible is that they actually chose the murderer and rapist. And yeah. they chose a physically dangerous man. You're right. To be released back into society
0: because Jesus, with his new way of thinking, mm-hmm. was considered more dangerous. And guess what? His gospel to this day is considered just that dangerous.
1: Yeah in in one of the most amazing ways possible though too. Yeah. I mean we're talking dangerous as as in life or death, you know, dangerous as in salvation and um you know giving up your your will for for God's will. I mean, it's only dangerous because of how people fear it. Even even the non-believers I I would I will say I feel fear
0: these scriptures. They do because they know it's from God. I mean, in Romans it even goes on to tell us that everyone knows God and that he exists and that he's real. They try to push it away, but they can't.
1: And that's the thing is what they try to do today in today's world is okay. Well, if we just don't allow it, it doesn't exist. Right, which is quite the uh, the opposite. You, you you can try and ban it and not allow it all you want. It's still going to exist. Right.
0: You wonder if there's anything else the ostrich can teach us? Because uh, apparently, it has taught us that if we stick our head in the ground, that doesn't exist.
1: Yeah, if I can't see you, you can't see me, kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, no, it's it's. then that's one thing I've gotten to learn well over these years is. You, you can try and run from it. It doesn't make it non-existent. You can try and say right. like they are today. Well, uh, it offends too many people. So we're not going to put it in the schools. It doesn't mean it's not going to exist right. in the schools. Even when they started doing that, when I was in high school, they started trying to, they weren't so forceful as they were they They, they are today in trying to remove it or in not even trying, but removing it. Um, But it was kind of, starting to be one of those uh be courteous kind of mm. situations. And at the time don't get me wrong, you know, I didn't grow up a believer. So in high school I didn't really pay any mind to it. But I knew that so the school wouldn't allow Christian clubs to form as a part of the school. But there were Christian kids in the school that were forming their own group and club outside of the school.
2: Right.
1: So it was it was able to be talked about. It was able to be promoted amongst each other. They wouldn't put it like in the, the morning announcements or anything like that. Right. And the school wouldn't host it, but they were more than welcome to, um, spend their off periods in the cafeteria. And they would, they would take full advantage of what they were given. They said, Oh, okay. Well, and looking back on it now, I, I, uh, I, I applaud it because if you think about it, what they did is they took, they took something that where they were limited to and said, you know what, we're going to take full advantage of every limit there is. Yeah. So, okay, you won't host it, but we can, we can do this on off periods and lunches in the cafeteria or out on the front court. Right. You always seen them gathering together in the cafeteria and on the, in the, in the front courtyard there. And uh, it was cool. I wish, looking back on it now, I wish I kind of would have been more a part of it, but uh, what's one of those guts timing things?
0: kind of seems like the church still does some of that today, such as, you know, in so many places like Colorado, it's so uh, expensive for the church to get their own building that a lot of churches have services in public schools. Yeah. So, They are then taking the gospel into a public school, you know, as they can, you know, it's not during school hours, but.
1: (laughs) Well, you got to think, and uh, there's uh, so many loopholes to everything who created them. (laughs) You know, God says there, there, there will always be a way, you know, there will always be a way with God. And they, they, I think it's ironic how they, they say, oh, well, we're banning religion from the school. But then God makes a way for them to have Sunday service in the cafeteria of that school. Yeah. <laughs> Plus. There, you, there's no way around it.
0: You, you can't muffle God. His word is in that school. Yeah. During school hours spoken by teachers, spoken by students. And of course, the teachers have to, uh, you know, be, I guess, uh, how, how, how would I say it? they have to be creative Yeah. And the ways that they deal with it. But I mean, there's lots of Christian teachers in public schools, and we thank God that there's a lot of Christian teachers in public schools and, you know, principals and everybody else that still keep the light of Jesus shining in a place that has tried hard to pull Jesus out.
1: Well, and it's amazing how even like you said, it's still being spoken. During school hours all throughout the day and all throughout the whole school, whether they wanted to or not. But even to go deeper than that, it's amazing how we read back on um, when, when God presented his name, that he gave himself a name that every person would speak, whether they knew it or not. Yeah. And when you read that scripture, it says that he gave him, he, I guess not when you read the scripture, but when you Um, look more into the scripture and study it. Um, you hear that God gave himself a name that sounded like an inhale and exhale.
0: It's kind of like Jesus coming back, right? Every knee will bow, everyone will know who Jesus is, everyone will know Jesus is Lord. And again, we mentioned it earlier, but Romans tells us that basically everybody already knows God.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But reject him anyway.
1: Well, and do you think word traveled to the point where it, that it, that like what did happen with Jesus and Pontius saying, I, "I don't want any, any anything to do with this matter." You think he's violating one of your laws? You deal with him. I'm not. I'm not sentencing. You think the word of that incident traveled? And influenced his decision to say, you're bringing a, a religious matter to a secular judge. I don't want anything to do with it.
0: I think it was the Roman Empire itself. The Roman Empire was happy to let people worship their own gods as long as they, you know, would proclaim the, uh,
2: the Caesar. As king. Yeah. So...
0: And of course, that got into some sort of odd worship of the uh, emperor Caesar, whatever he's whatever he's called. Um,
1: yeah. After I said king, I, I was like, wait, I don't but, know if the king king was the right word or right title for what what they had. What Caesar was?
0: Yeah. But in the Roman Empire, since the Roman Empire conquered so many various different. Um, types of countries that had all types of different religions to hold that empire together. They uh, allowed different religious religions within their uh, deal, which was different than what the Israelites um, were used to through, as we saw in the Old Testament, you know, that land had its gods And this land has its gods. Of course, Israel worshiped the one true God who was God over everything. But the other nations looked at the one true God as just being the God of the Israelites. Because each nation or group of people sort of had their own gods back then.
2: Right, okay. That makes sense.
0: So I think... um, What we see then is government not wanting to make religious decisions was sort of a new thing with Rome. Because, I mean, even today we see it in some countries where the leadership, the government itself, is enmeshed in a specific religion. So that they're making both religious and governmental decisions all at the same time.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Like the Vatican, that plays like a big part in the political role as well as the religious
0: well, yeah, and I guess especially since Vatican City is its own country, <laughs> certainly certainly within that country, but yeah, I mean what what the Pope has to say affects the views on government, yeah, of millions of you know Roman Catholics around the world we see in
1: 17 that then all the Greeks took Sosthenes um, the ruler of the synagogue and beat him before the judgment seat yeah and then we see again you know Galio says I don't I'm not I'm not making a decision on this also we read that he took no notice
0: you know and this just keeps going along the same lines as uh, Pontius Pilate where You know, he makes the big gesture of, I wash my hands Mm -hmm. of this man. If you say this and you take him and crucify him, you know what they do?
2: Yeah, and that's
1: where it becomes a little weird, too, because, I mean, I don't know, they probably didn't have the same um, laws on uh, battery and things like an assault and things like that back in, in those days of the Roman Empire, unless it was on somebody of high stature or something, you know? Um, well, because that's where, well, that's where that line gets broken between religious and, um, governmental law well, is okay. Well, they, they took matters into their own hands and just beat the leader of the synagogue. Well, now that kind of becomes a, 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 a government law that's been broken, not so much as a religious, but they, they kind of, well, yeah, yeah, they kind of said, well, if it was due to a religious issue, then you handle it your own uh-huh. way.
0: Well, I think it's different. This all happened at the end of a big uprising. Right. They all went into the stadium there and they were all chanting, if I'm remembering the right place, Artemis. Mm. Am I right? That's ha- Or that happens in a- Ephesus. Sorry. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> I may have jumped ahead a chapter. I don't know. I haven't seen. It
3: just says, then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judge seat judgment seat gallio took no notice of these things okay
0: well i was jumping into chapter 19 <laughs> so we'll get there but we'll get there yeah i mean i think that allowing that beating was not i mean yes on the te- technical and the real aspects of the law then the people beating sophonis should have uh been in trouble with the law but the law does that kind of thing to allow a certain
3: like religious uh I guess religious punishment overshad like is overshadows the
0: Yeah, and I guess I was just thinking of allowing something to keep there from being an uprising,
2: mm-hmm. you know.
0: So if we just kinda let them beat this one guy right now,
3: right.
1: we then can be
0: come. done with it. Then you it know, and the whole city us. won't make a crazy
1: Yeah. So they were trying to make a a point by it.
0: Yeah. And the government wants to look the other way because they're like, if we get in the middle of this, it's gonna be a big uproar.
3: Yeah, their hounds will be clean of it. But then what's one person to possibly them turning on us? So they're just thinking of like, what is that? The what's that saying? A lesser of two evils.
1: Yeah. Well, and we see even after that, okay, because we have this theme that we keep talking about when Things get start getting crazy. They chances are they end up driving Paul out of town, and he's got to go to the next uh, town that the Holy Spirit leads him. Well, they're still trying. It seems they're trying to push him out and charge him and um get him convicted of what what crime they they see fit. And now they're not
0: succeeding. Which is interesting. I mean, Paul's been there three years. By 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 this point, yeah. yeah.
1: But we read in 18 that he still remained in Corinth for a while. A little bit. He still remained there. Now, the Lord, the Lord had told Paul earlier that he was to speak boldly. we right? remember that in, in uh, a few scriptures back. And he wasn't to fear because the Lord had many people in the city of Corinth. We remember that toward the beginning of 18 as well, that when, when the Holy Spirit came and talked to Paul, um, he told them, or he told him that uh, where you're gonna go, there's gonna be a lot of people there that are going to basically be like-minded. There's gonna be a lot of people there on your side.
0: And one of them is Sosthenes, mm-hmm. who's, who's getting beat in place of Paul, essentially. Um, they had Paul away. <laughs> from this for this one time, Paul was hidden away,
1: well, and I think there was there was a little bit more behind the story of why they took Sosthenes and beat him more than just to make a point so prior when I was reading into this um prior to Sosthenes uh as the ruler of the the synagogue, it was uh justice oh. so mm-hmm. after justice was converted to christianity um it appears that he lost his his position as chief ruler to Sosthenes. And now that Sosthenes kind of got the chance to um, show off some of his newfound power uh, as the head of the synagogue there, the ruler of the synagogue, he thought by uh, bringing Paul before the judge would allow him to, or I guess give the appearance of him kind of pushing some weight around and showing his authority and, um right away Gallio shut him down and then allowed him to be beaten by the jews so i I think there was a little more behind that from from what
0: i'm reading is so but we have to move into the next aspect of that now then as we see at the beginning of first corinthians the Sosthenes is with paul when he's writing the letter uh to the first corinthians And it's believed that Paul wrote that letter from Ephesus. So it seems like Sosthenes ends up going with Paul at some point and ends up in Ephesus with him because he's in Corinth now. Um, So that when Paul writes 1 Corinthians, he lets the Corinthians know that one of their own is there with
3: him. might have the tables have turned, huh? Yeah. From when Paul was sitting back watching while Stephen was getting yeah. killed, and so I'm just thinking like how now it's transitioning for Paul.
2: Um, oh. Sosthenes now, yeah. Sosthenes. Paul. Yeah, and
1: and we get to see that there's still trial. You know, everything that Paul went through now, Sosthenes is kind of taking the brunt end of it, but still. Paul yeah, remains
3: Paul put all kinds of people through stuff, too. So it's like.
0: it's Oh, a yeah. Constant, before, like, his, before he was a convert. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And maybe That's what I'm saying. like, yeah, I think
3: before he's it's a good converting. Sosthenes well,
0: is the exact same thing he mm-hmm. has. He wants to have Paul beaten that backfires on him. He gets beaten and he
2: becomes a believer. Yeah. Yeah. Tables really did
1: turn there, didn't they? So we know that Paul was told to to speak boldly by the Holy Spirit and and uh, not to not to fear because he assured him that he has a lot of people in the city of Corinth and sometimes what it looks like to us to be the uh, to be the least likely place for a, a successful ministry is quite often the place that uh, that God really blesses and pours out His Holy Spirit
0: like a so. basement.
1: You look like a basement oh. <laughs> in the corner of a basement. Mm-hmm. That's where this is recorded, by the way. There's no fancy studio, just uh, a place that God gave us to to fellowship and, and put out this word to uh, anybody who'll listen. So, amen. I can't complain at all.
2: It's actually a pretty blessed little setup. I like it. <laughs> so we see that.
1: Paul's already been assured by the Holy Spirit, so he he still remained a good while, and then he took leave of of the brothers in Corinth and sailed for Syria. But we read that in 18 that Priscilla and Aquila were with him, and he had his hair cut off at century.
0: I think we may have talked about this last time, that that was most likely... <laughs> A Nazarite vow that, uh, that Paul had taken. It does say, for he had
1: taken a vow.
0: Yeah, so he took a vow, a Nazarite vow, for a length of time. And once that time was up, then he had his hair cut. We see the Nazarite vow, which, by the way, has nothing to do with Nazareth. So don't, we don't want to get that confused. <laughs> but the Nazarite vow, we see at least two uh, people in the Bible that were to be Nazarites from birth samson in the old testament we see and of course we think of his hair uh that was to grow but also he was not to uh, have any grapes any any type of you know not only no wine but no grapes even um you know and various other things are not supposed to do from birth so that was samson another one we see is john the baptist who again was not to uh, have any wine or anything, and was a Nazarite from birth.
1: So, I don't think that doesn't sound familiar on what, what the, the vow of the gutting the hair was, but I do remember going over, um, Priscilla and Akilah as, yeah. as uh, tent makers in prior scriptures. In when they chorus, first, yeah. yeah,
0: when they met him. But I think it's, so, even though those two that we just mentioned were Nazarite from birth, right? Um, it was a vow that somebody could take for a length of time within the Jewish culture. So Paul here would have just taken that Nazarite vow for a length of time. You know, perhaps while he was in Corinth, we don't know. He just left Corinth. but So it looks like he, for some reason, took a Nazarite vow. But the time that he had taken it for was up, and he had his hair cut. On his way back to
2: Antioch:
1: Well, it looks like they Priscilla and Aquila as tent makers, they, they could make a living anywhere they went. So when Paul decided to sail back to Jerusalem, they accompanied him, and yeah, they, they went with him as far as Ephesus.
0: Oh okay, I was about to say they don't go all the way back.
1: <laughs> no, yeah, they went with him as far as, as Ephesus, and that's.
0: Which mind you isn't that far compared to going all the way back to Caesarea. Oh yeah, where he lands, it says in a minute, which is interesting because they, they they don't tell us why he ends up going to um, Caesarea, is where he landed, because it says he was going to Syria, which is where Antioch is. So it looks like he planned to sell directly. Uh, to syria and be close to antioch but instead he um ended up going to caesarea and then on foot or somehow on land went up to antioch
1: and then in, in 1822 and when he had landed in caesarea and gone up and and greeted the church he went down to antioch
0: which is Paul's home base, mostly. He left early. And then then the story in Acts moves to what's going on in Ephesus while Paul is gone with Achilla and Priscilla um, schooling Apollos and...
2: Is that
1: while he's in Antioch? Yeah. Well, region 23, after he had spent some time there, he departed... And went over to the region of Galatia or Galatia. <laughs> I okay. see the IA and Galatia. No. And the no, Galatia.
2: And the region of Galatia. And.
1: Phrygia.
3: Phrygia. Phrygia. That sounds better. Phrygia.
2: Phrygia.
1: In order strengthening all the disciples. So now I think now is it when he's starting to kind of circle back around to the places that he's been?
0: Right. This is basically after Antioch, they would consider that his third missionary journey starting from Antioch and going into Galatia.
1: So the, when, when he got, when he went to the area of Galatia that included um, or it includes places like Derby um, yeah. Lystra and Iconium,
0: right places he's been before
1: on his first and second missionary
0: journeys, and then you go on down, continue on, you get to,
1: you get to Ephesus. Now a certain Jew named Apol- Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. Now this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord through he knew only bapti- the, the baptism of John. And we read that in 1824 and 25. So while Paul is traveling to Jerusalem, an Alexandrian named Apollos came to Ephesus. It looks like Alexandria was built by alexander the great who named the city after himself So it was built to be his headquarters so he could oversee the part of the world or that part of the world alexandria was a place of education it contained a large university and one of the greatest libraries of the ancient world Uh, assuming apollos probably had the advantage of going to that university we're told that he was an eloquent and well-versed in the scriptures. So we know that he's, you know, studying and kind of walking in that same um, or, or a similar path as Paul and that he's well-guided. So as
3: Apollos he's, became an influential minister and powerful preacher. Priscilla and Aquila taught him Christian doctrine in Ephesus.
0: Yeah. So look at all this going on while well, Paul's not even there. <laughs>
3: He stayed in Ephesus almost three years longer than he stayed anywhere else.
0: On his third journey, mm. at the end of his second one here, he took off pretty quickly, leaving mm-hmm. Priscilla and Aquila. He, and we, let,
3: he let the women run it.
0: Well, it is interesting, with originally when we hear of them with Aquila and Priscilla, but it doesn't take long before it's always Priscilla and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila.
1: So you know what's weird? It says that um, even though he preached everything that was he preached, we read that he was well versed and um, preached accurately or taught accurately. Um, it says that Apollos lacked an understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. So we we saw that he knew the baptism of John,
0: repentance,
1: right? But he lacked and the understanding of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we see in 1826, so he began to speak boldly in the synagogue when um, Aquila and Priscilla heard him. They took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So is that what you just read?
0: Yeah. He didn't even have, he wasn't even filled with the Holy Spirit yet. He's willing to preach boldly um what john the baptist had taught Mm -hmm. you know that people needed to repent i think there's
1: some ambition in there though because like you said even though he wasn't like filled he heard what john was saying and wanted to because he believed in it so much that he wanted to share it as well
0: yeah and i'm guessing i mean if he's from alexandria he's probably not jewish I don't think it ever says he's Jewish, does it yet? No, he didn't know. He to. said
3: it was um he was an Alexandrian Jew.
0: Okay. So he was. Ooh, so he was. Mm-hmm. Was a Jew, and that's why he knew the scriptures, but he believed on John the Baptist.
1: Not necessarily the Holy Spirit.
0: Well, he just hadn't gotten that far. He hadn't heard the Not gospel. Yet.
2: Right. Not yet.
0: So somehow the preaching of John the
2: Baptist got to him. And yet the gospel had not yet
0: gotten to Apollos.
3: That was enough for him to believe.
2: It was.
1: Yeah. It was like planting that seed Jesus. and be on fire and then just want to be so eager to go share. Um, just the love. It just maybe a, a hair too soon. Uh, just slightly. I mean, you I don't know if that's really small, too soon because he just need, yeah. A seed. He just didn't have an <laughs> understanding yet, which... Much like myself. Well, just, you know, <laughs> it wasn't that full understanding. <laughs> I don't preach what I do understand. There's a lot I don't understand still.
0: Sure. But it was like not a full understanding. All he knew based on what was John repent, the Baptist, yeah, was repent baptized. and be baptized. Yeah. So he knew.
3: That was what you got to do. That they needed mm-hmm.
0: to repent and be baptized and that someone was coming. Just didn't know Jesus had already come.
3: Yeah.
1: In 27, and when he desired to cross to Achaia the brethren wrote exhorting the disciples to receive him and when he arrived he greatly helped those who had believed through grace so we don't know exactly why apollos wanted to cross over to achaia
0: goes to corinth we see but, that in the letter of 1 corinthians
1: right it, it could be that priscilla and aquila had told him of Paul's ministry in Corinth and persuaded him to share his knowledge of the scriptures with the believers that were there.
0: As you remember in 1 Corinthians where, as an example, Paul says, we all follow Christ. And there's no, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow others. So Paul
2: used Apollos even as a, Example when he's writing First Corinthians, so Yeah, and he, he refers to it what in three
1: verse four? Where when one says I am of Paul and another I am of Apollos. Are you not carnal? That's what you were just talking about, right?
0: Right. And that was in First Corinthians, you read out of, right?
1: Yeah. First Corinthians three, four.
0: And for for Paul's
1: part, he seemed thrilled that Apollos was able to, to take them beyond the ministry that he had begun there, which, I mean, kind of makes sense because that's what Paul was trying to do. Everywhere. Everywhere. So yeah. in all these missionary journeys, he wasn't just trying to um, show and go. Right. He wasn't saying, okay, I checked this one off my list. Okay, I checked this one off my list. He was trying to create those, those disciples right. to continue on after he had already left.
0: Well, and he didn't abandon the churches either. You know, he, um, Apollos goes off to Corinth uh, to lead that church. Right now he's got Priscilla and Aquila and Ephesus before he comes back. Um, he's always, you know, he's got Timothy with him right now looking for a place for timothy timothy ends up being the leader of the ephesian of ephesus um sometimes he was referred to as the bishop of ephesus so paul is finding people to stay in these places and continue to disciple everyone uh who's there and then paul continues to disciple them by coming back through by writing letters so, yeah, the, the purpose through all this, just like Jesus told us, the purpose is to make disciples, mm-hmm. not just to randomly sling his gospel out there, but to make disciples of those who come.
1: Oh well, yeah, and he talks about that in his letter in Corinthians, too, where he says, I, I planted and Apollos watered.
0: Yeah. But it was strategic, I guess, is the idea. Sometimes. I think in our culture, we feel like, well, you know, I slung the word of the gospel out there. So, hopefully somebody will come along and, and water.
1: Well, and if we continue that scripture in, in three, or 1 Corinthians 3, 6, and 7, yeah, that's what he's saying. He said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave it increase. So, it wasn't the person who planted or the person hmm. who watered. Um, it was God who gives the increase in right.
0: it. And it never is. I mean... Us planning and you know planting a church, you know, and making sure that there's a leader there to to lead the church and going back and checking on them. All of that is what we can do, but it's always God that makes the seed take root and mm-hmm. the seed grow uh, in the individual. I guess I'm just making the point that that Paul had a plan. Oh yeah, with each of these churches, it wasn't a haphazard. I'm just going to pop in. Um and, and sling out his word a little bit and then leave. And I hope somebody waters.
1: Yeah. You well, know, if it Paul looks, made
0: sure somebody was going to come along and water. And it looks
1: like that's why he circled back around to a lot yeah. of
0: these places too. To touch back with them and write them letters as well.
1: And still, again, we, we talked about this before. We touched on it uh, a few times. He's going back to a lot of these places that They're pushed him out, out of town.
0: We well, yeah. ran him out and tried to kill him. Well, we just read a bit of First Corinthians. You know, he was there for three years. Uh-huh. Which was the longest, you know, through his first two missionary journeys. Three years was the longest he stayed anywhere. And yet in First Corinthians, that church is a mess. So I mean so it it's not like it's an easy thing. Like people are just gonna get it and and go. Um, all of this checking back in was necessary.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, he had to make sure, I think we read it, um, earlier on, on why he, um, went back is he just had to make sure that it was still going down the way that, that God had given it to him. You know, he had to make sure that they were still being spirit led because I think it's easy to, it's easy to get caught up in the crowds. I can imagine. I mean, I I haven't been there, but, um, I, I can imagine it get, it can get easy to get caught up in the crowds that gather to watch you or to listen to you, they're not there to listen to you. They're there to listen to what God's given you to speak to them. And um, I can imagine that it it might get easy. And that's why Paul comes back around to ensure everything's still being spirit led and that these disciples are, are still going down the, the pathway that he had kind of taught them being spirit led. But it looks like too, that uh, when he's writing in Corinthians about um, Apollos or him planting and Apollos watering, we have the opposite effect. Or we have, we have a reverse situation in Ephesus where Paul came along to water the seeds that were first planted by Apollos. Yeah. So it, now we have kind of like a, a, a double lapping effect here. Right, Paul's going to water where Apollos has been. Apollos is circling back and watering where Paul's been.
0: Well, think of the watering that Priscilla and Aquila did. They're the ones that sat Apollos down and taught him the full gospel. Yeah, they did that from hearing him speak.
1: Right, and then pulled him aside afterward and kind of. filled in those blanks
0: right so they were the original people that paul left behind priscilla and aquila in ephesus you know and they did their part <laughs> they, they they sat down apollos they taught him you know the full teaching of christ and once he knew that he was like hey i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to corinth now
1: i was reading in the next verse i'm trying to piece it together here apollos cross to Achaia. And he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. But when we go to um, 28, it says, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ.
0: Yeah, and like so he was, was showing us that since he was a Alexandrian Jew, he knew the scriptures well enough to go into the synagogues and uh, reason with the jews so he took on the same role that paul had
1: yeah it seems like once he gained that that understanding of the holy spirit it was it was added added knowledge for him of the scriptures so the scriptures he already knew now gave him a better understanding
0: right now he fully knew yeah the scriptures you know he's no longer seeing through the glass darkly he's now seeing that Jesus was there from the start.
1: And then now he was able to publicly, you know, it says that he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly. And now he was able to, to, to do it in, in debates that he was having debates with the, the Jews back and forth and saying, Hey, no, Jesus is the Christ. And here's why. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. So like Hebrews where we don't, know the author Mm -hmm. of it you know people like to conjecture who wrote it um apollos was one of the people that they would conjecture maybe he wrote it because he knew the because you know hebrews clearly by the name um dives into the hebrew scriptures and shows how christ is the one that was prophesied about Mm. a large portion of You know, the church at different times thought, you know, Paul definitely wrote Hebrews. They even put it in with his letters Mm -hmm. at times. But uh, apparently the... But
1: a lot of it seems like it would have been written by Paul because of how it's worded.
0: Right. And then sometimes Barnabas gets thrown in because, you know, he was a Jew with all the knowledge as well.
1: Very interesting. Maybe we'll get to the bottom of that one day
0: i've read i've read a book that was uh pretty much pro this was paul wrote it you know and the the objections people have for it being paul's letter don't really make any sense you know that they were saying it's in a different format and stuff but they were like well but if you look at the end of the letter that's very close to the first of his other letters and you know he could have just put it at the end instead of the beginning and
1: I mean, regardless of who wrote the letter, it wouldn't really change that it's
0: God-led gospel, you know? Yeah, because God has preserved his word for us. God is the one who brought the canon together, you know, through godly people that had his spirit to be able to tell and know this is scripture when they're reading it. I mean, even not everything Paul wrote. Is in the New Testament, you know, because he wrote another letter to the Corinthians that's referenced, but but it's not in there. God's the one that determines scripture, uh, you know, using people to identify it. So the letters that were regularly passed around and made copies of and everything, those are the things that became scripture. And you look at the, uh, often they call them the fathers, you know, of Christianity and, and what they quoted. So like the Christians, the different bishops, you know, up in the first century, up through 100 AD, what books or what letters were quoted by them, you know, it's another place that was looked at to determine.
1: Well, I just think it's interesting too, when you say that, you know, God's word has been preserved for even us today. How long that had to have been reserved and it's all by design don't get me wrong but it's still fascinating to me because it always reminds me reading through the scriptures and seeing how um the gospel got around then this was before a lot of the bible was was written you had the old testament but you didn't have new testament yet right. written i should say
0: well these letters of paul were pretty much the first things written
1: right Now, but they they didn't have that to go off of yet unless they were the ones reading after he wrote. But um, it it always reminded me of that that game Telephone as a kid where they put you in a big circle and they'd get a word or a phrase and they'd tell it to the next person. And by the time it got all the way around the circle, it was nine times out of ten, never the same phrase or the same word. But we have this this bible we have this gospel and these scriptures that have been preserved for us all these years later and still being the same word that doesn't come back void now i'm not saying it's never been changed because people have tried to in other i guess other bibles other religions things like that they've tried to um, alter scripture but it never that's not the version that gets reprinted a million times and then yeah, hundreds of different languages and yeah that's not the version that's preserved for us today
0: right. when you look at some of that how it was preserved um is interesting to to think about so people these letters of paul they were copied of course by hand that's the only way to do it back then but copied over and over and over and over and over and over and over and, over and sent off so through archaeological finds you know all of these transcripts have been dug up not all of them of course but a bunch of transcripts we have tons of really old transcripts of these letters and everything in the new testament so the idea is if you have a bunch of different copies and you put them together each one of them will have some little difference in it Uh uh-huh but those things can be filtered out because it's an anomaly, right? Mm. There's a comma here with this guy who acts, you know, who put it in and he shouldn't have. Uh, well, nobody else did. So that comma gets taken out. You know, a word is misspelled over here. Well, the correct spelling of it is obvious because it's an anomaly that it was misspelled over here. So when you had all these, like in a room, say we had, um, Probably probably just the three of us. If each one of us copied, you know, a piece of scripture, there would be mistakes on each one of ours. But we wouldn't have the same mistakes.
2: Mm.
1: So well, mine could, would definitely be handwriting. <laughs> mine would be the version that couldn't be read and just got tossed out.
0: So there would be two to go from. But <laughs> we wouldn't have the same mistakes. We'd be able to tell. Well, when there's only two, you'd have a hard time. but. When there's multiple, you're able to tell, oh, this is a mistake because it's only in this one or only in a couple, you know, and and the vast majority don't have that. So you can tell the mistakes and be assured that you're very close to what the original was, even though you don't have it. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That's amazing. That's amazing that it was even able to be found. But again, it was still meant to be found it was meant to be dug up. It was there to be found, but it's amazing that it still happened. Yeah. I and mean, we can try and, you know, I guess it's easy to brush off and say, Oh, well, if it, it got found because it was in God's will to be found. Yes, that's true. But still how amazing it is to be. It, can you imagine being somebody who dug up that one of those artifacts and then pieced them together, not being there in that era in yeah. that time? And then coming back and saying, it, it is real. There's physical evidence of this right. truth.
0: Which we've seen, you know, those documentaries were over and over again, you know, people called uh, King David of the Bible a mythical character, as it was mm-hmm. just no proof of him. And archaeology caught up at one mm-hmm. point and has found different inscriptions of King David and uh, mm-hmm. other piece, other articles that show there was a king david in, in Israel at the time that the Bible says he was there.
1: I think I watched I, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole on uh, uh, ancient finds of the Bible, like biblical ancient finds, and that one was on there yeah. of uh, like I find the, it hard the to finds of King David
3: find it hard to believe that King David was real, but it's easy for them to Believe in dinosaurs. I was about to say.
0: (laughs) That's insane. They accept, you know, these other writings, so-called ancient writings.
1: You find bones and all of a sudden the dinosaurs were factual, but you find ancient uh, text and and scripture and all of a sudden we don't know.
0: Right. Like writings of Plato Mm -hmm. compared to manuscripts of the bible that they found that date back very close to it yeah plato they don't date that close to it and there aren't that many copies yet nobody has a problem thinking oh this is what plato
1: <laughs> that's got to be by design i think it, it is it's out of fear that it that you, i think people get that fear that, oh, man, it, this might actually be the real deal and uh, we're not ready to accept that yet. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, for so, sure. of course,
1: they find anything and everything to replace they're it. They're trying
3: with. to find the evidence to back up that it, he's not real. But they yeah. end up finding evidence that just proves that he is. Oh, right. of course. So, it's they don't want to. There's probably hear? more things that they haven't revealed because they're like, oh,
1: there was this a, is only
3: proving our not proving our point, this is proving we're wrong there's and nobody a, likes to be wrong right
1: there's a there's a story or a documentary out on uh i guess it's not so much a documentary as it is a recorded story um of a scientist that was set out to prove that um that God created the earth and everything in the bible was was not true that he dug so deep into it that he became a believer because everything he was finding led back to god creating the earth
0: right and we see that story over and over and over again the case for christ oh we're going to continue to see it lee strobel was a uh unbelieving journalist and he decided he was going to do his own study as a journalist he went and interviewed the experts Mm -hmm. so he figured he'd be able to poke holes in all the things that these christians are saying he ends up a believer and writes the case for Christ (laughs) based on his interviews that he thought would go the other way. See, if he just goes to show, if you just
1: do a little research, if you, if you gain enough, just enough interest to look into it, you're going to find what you're looking for. It may not be what you thought you were looking for, but you're going to find what you need, what you, what you need to be looking for. He'll reveal himself to you. Yeah, you just
2: got to open your eyes. I know. I had to do it,
0: right? Just like you mentioned, people not wanting—you know—finding every kind of excuse. Well, that's what we did for years. Yeah,
1: I did Mm -hmm. it for years. Uh, I didn't want to accept it, and then, uh, then I started toying with acceptance, but on my terms. Yeah, (laughs) it's like okay. Well, I will. If you uh, physically, you know, reveal yourself to me or audibly speak to me and then, yeah, like I've said it time and time again, now that I look back, I see in all the ways he was physically revealing himself to me. It just uh, uh it wasn't in a way that I, I was willing to accept. It's almost if you were to paint a picture of it, of like me walking down a street asking God to reveal himself to me and he was, and then I would see it and just kind of like walk the other way. <laughs> It's like, I didn't, I didn't see that. I didn't see that. Oh, that could be justified by anything.
0: You mean like the people in a flood where water's starting getting high in their house and a big monster truck comes by and says, Hey, hop in, you know, we'll get you out of here. Water's rising. And they'd say, no, God's going to rescue us. Okay. Monster truck goes on, you know, <laughs> and it keeps going up and they're starting to have to get up on the roof and a boat comes by and and says, Hey, you want to hop in the boat? You know, cause like your house is underwater no 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 god's gonna rescue <laughs> you know then they're on the roof and it's starting to close up and then yeah. there's a helicopter that comes down and say well no you know god's gonna rescue us so they turn the helicopter away you know and then finally they drowned because they never get in any of these vehicles and, and they see god and they're like kind of, god why didn't why didn't you rescue us and of course god says i sent a monster truck i sent a boat <laughs> i said a helicopter you didn't get in any of them <laughs> so yeah that's the way it is with us yeah. you're walking down the street right you almost get hit by a car but you don't and uh you know you say it's a coincidence yeah, well, what a coincidence how lucky i was that mm-hmm. i yeah yeah
2: and yet it's god
3: yep it's always god
1: well, Amen. Well, unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Uh, join us again next week as we continue on and start in chapter nine, where we cover uh, the ministry in Ephesus. I'm sorry, chapter 19. Did I say nine? You did. I did say nine. It's, uh, it's on the later side of recording this. <laughs> so I apologize. We'll be joining. We'll be starting uh, chapter 19 and continuing on the, uh, the ministry in Ephesus. And we thank you for joining us. Uh, God bless.